0: Hello everyone and welcome back to Artsing About, the art podcast for everyone. My name is Georgie and I know something about art. My name is Sophie and I know very little about art. But whether you know all there is to know about art, you know very, very little, you've listened to every single one of our episodes. If you have, you're a true fan, thank you so much. Or you've listened to none at all. We are just here to make art as fun as possible, interesting and open to everyone. You, you've just started our new segment by slapping your cup of tea.
1: <laughs> that sounded fake. But it, but it was a real slap. It was a real slap. Swir- slap.
0: On a scale of one to ten, how good is your cup of tea? I'm
1: ten. Sorry, that was, that was me saying I need another slap, but no-
0: I went. I didn't really good actually because about 15 minutes ago I think you said you didn't want a cup of tea
1: I know but then I thought I'm at, I'm going to the theatre tonight right and I'm leaving after this mm. and I thought I'm not gonna get a cup of tea until I get home right so I thought one for the road basically what are you gonna go see at the theatre I'm seeing Julius Caesar at the Globe ooh mm-hmm. who are you going with going with my friend Joe
0: Joe we love Joe shout out Joe shout out Joe what are you doing later I um, think I'm going to go out for dinner. What are you going to get? Have you looked at the menu? I'm not sure, but we're probably going to go... This is Harry and I. I think we might go together because you're shooting off to the globe. And normally we do something festive, the three of us afterwards. So, Harry, I think we're going to go to the pub. Um, We'd go somewhere maybe a bit nicer, but we've got to take the dogs with us because Bonnie, who is my cockapoo, has just been going through... <gasps>
1: We didn't say happy birthday. I
0: know, I was about to come on to oh, that. Oh, sorry. No, no, I, um, no. Basically, sorry. Bonnie Bonnie turned eight yesterday. Oh. Yeah, I don't want to make a big thing about it. Um, but guys, she's eight years old. She is, um, she's such a grown-up girl. And I just feel like it's really fair that we sort of show her like a nice time. And it doesn't really feel fair to leave her alone on the day after her birthday. I so can't, um, I can't
1: tell if you're being serious. I'm, I'm fully okay. joking. Okay. <laughs>
0: Basically, it was Bonnie's birthday yesterday, um, but she's going through a bit of a thing at the moment where every time we leave her, and we never, we've never, we never left the dogs for long periods of time, but if we leave her for even about 15 minutes alone in the house, she just starts barking. Um, I'm pretty sure she does it for attention, but it's obviously not fair to the neighbours. It's not really fair to Badger because she works him into such a state, and it's not really fair to her. So mm-hmm. I think Harry and I will probably go out and we will bring the dogs with us. So Aww. we're going to go to a dog-friendly pub. That'd be nice. Yeah, it certainly will. It's warm. It's warm. It's still warm weather. But I don't know about you, it really feels like we're falling into autumn now. Yeah, it's getting a bit chilly. But I'm welcoming it. I'm I'm welcoming it. And actually, I always get depressed at the beginning of August because I think, oh, no, 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 we're going into winter again. And actually, I always get to the end of August and think, I'm really ready now. I'm really yeah. ready, ready for the cold weather. Yeah. It's, I hate the whole like Instagram sort of, I just love autumn so much. Like my, my Starbucks mochaccino with pumpkin spice. I hate that. It makes me feel unwell. Right. But there is still a huge part in me that wants it there's still a huge it's po-
1: almost like um, internalised hatred
0: yeah it's this thing <laughs> in me that lives like very and it's very very much alive that wants to be all cute and cosy with a great big warm jumper and a yeah, pumpkin spice yeah we used spice. to meet we used to Mocochin meet and you know. were like I'm
1: pretending I'm Lorelei Gilmore and I'd be in like Gilmore Girls why not
0: but is slightly different. It's just like, if it is the Gilmore Girl vibe, do you yeah. know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's something that lives and thrives within me, but I just, I just hate it.
1: You hate it, but love it at the same time. It's a,
0: it's a, it's a two-way street. Wow, this is, this is like... We're going right into my We really here. are. Do you prefer autumn or winter? Um, I'm going to answer
1: your question slightly differently. I mm. prefer October to December than January to March. Prefer. but okay. i would still consider s- november a bit of winter and march a bit of spring so i prefer okay. the first half of winter basically
0: okay interesting i think january is a i think february actually is a pretty catastrophic month mm. january and february to me are just oh. here's a
1: question for you this is how i
0: theorize mm. this mm-hmm. okay think back to your primary school days
1: mm-hmm. think of um a november day mm-hmm. think of a december day Mm -hmm. Think of an October day. Mm. You can see them all pretty clearly, right? I Yeah. Think of a January day.
0: Horrid. No, no, you can't even picture them. I can't
1: picture it. I can picture a day in September, October, November, December. Ask me to picture a day in January, February, March when I was seven. It's honestly like a blank. And Mm. then it starts again in like May. It's really weird. Mm.
0: It's a bit of a sort of a dead Mm. period of the year, isn't it? Yeah. What season would you be? If you were a season, what would you be? Spring. I was going to say, you were such a spring girl. Yeah. Look at Harry right now, he's autumn. No. That, f- that is full on
1: January the second <laughs> week. That's blue Monday. That's blue Tuesday, right there. That's blue Tuesday. Anyway, should what?
0: we... <laughs> what? Sorry, yeah, we should... We should get on to wine and, wine and cheese. cheese. We sat down, you were
1: like, guys, we've got to get really on it. We haven't got long. It's and because... <laughs> my- that you went on such a tangent, and I was like, I'm just going to roll with it, because... I don't know what she wants
0: from you're me. You're shooting off to the theatre and my lodgers upstairs are going to be walking around. But Georgie, you're
1: the one who asked a million questions about seasons. I know, I
0: know, <laughs> you raise a good point. I just think it's an interesting point of conversation. It is, I loved it, I
1: loved
0: it. Wine and cheese. Wine and cheese.
1: Wine and cheese.
0: Shall I go first? You go first, but actually, can I oh. raise a point? Yeah. So, I have got wine. Okay. But we're sitting here right now drinking our tea. Right, okay. Okay. And I have also got a snack that complements tea really well, and I know that you were the one that was going to bring the cheese slash the snack. Oh! It's just that I wonder if we should have our tea and... Special guest Special guest snack now Yeah And then maybe at a later point in the podcast Crack open the wine Oh, I'm
1: loving this Do
0: you think? I maybe mean,
1: we do it in between our artwork Let's do that Let's do that, right Go get your special
0: guest Okay, so, well first of all We've got our just Our tea Yorkshire tea
1: Lovingly made by Mr. Jones Mr.
0: Jones um, It's just got regular milk I've got regular milk in mine no, You normally have re- ha- I normally
1: have oat milk But I've got regular milk in have got regular milk It's fine, milk. it does mm. the job
0: it's quite a strong cut, but I like it. I've almost finished mine. It's a really nice temperature as well, I think, right now. Well I'm gonna get the I'm gonna get the little treaty snack out. You know how now, some people Oh carry on.
1: Have you seen these? Can I say something? I saw them in your kitchen and I thought I really want her
0: to offer me one. <laughs> <laughs> right, I got these the other day, and I've been hanging on to them. And people at work will know that I have been banging on about them I'm so really much. Excited. But I saw them in Tesco's about a month ago, and they had them on this great big special offer rack. Mm. And I got one for myself. And I don't know about you, but you, are you ever in the conundrum where you're like, I want something that is cakey, but I also want something that's chocolatey, and I also want something that's biscuity. And I
1: yeah. So fun fact about me, mm. I love chocolate, but common misconception, mm. I. I'm I'm not the biggest fan of chocolate on its own. Right. I love
0: chocolate on a carb. I ag- I agree. Or in a carb. I agree. I need the carb. I understand that. Well, so these are Jaffa cake donuts. Oh. And, I think when I have dried them, it hits the perfect blend of cake, biscuit, chocolate. Oh, give it here.
1: This is exactly what I want right now.
0: So we've got this Jaffa cake box here, um, donuts, and it's really satisfying because you've got this.
1: Ooh.
0: Lid that pops up It's not going to be sad No it is So you've yes. got, it opens up like that Ooh. And then inside you've got four donuts And you Luke bring out know out the donut With the little pack And it appears in a little oh pack I like that. that So I'm going to open it now for you Soph If I can I'm going to hand it over it's to you It's an actual donut? It's an actual donut Wow Mmm. Isn't that good?
1: It's got the jelly bit
0: mm-hmm. in the middle. In the middle, and I like that. Now, I can't do the mobs slide because we've got about 50 trillion items on our table. All right. But I think you know what the art is because. Well.
1: We there was s- an indication a couple weeks ago.
0: In our sixth episode I think it was mm-hmm. we, Sophie made reference to Degas, I'm doing uh, Little Dancer uh, at the age of 14 by Edgar Degas.
1: Ooh, la, la!
0: so I've chosen this work because it is just super weird um, and wonderful and interesting but I think it also just from a broader point um, raises quite an interesting conversation as to how we should think about art that has problematic themes and connotations in today's society so I was reminded it actually of my friend Ruby uh, who said that it's her and her mum's favourite work of art, and then I was like, oh my gosh, it is amazing, and then I was like, because you know, that thing and that thing and that thing, describing all the really horrible things about it, and she was like, no, no, what? I didn't oh, know no. that bit of it, and she just thought it was this amazing little sculpture, which absolutely is, but she didn't realise this sort of other side to it, mm. so I'm so sorry Ruby and Ruby's mum for ruining that for you, but I think actually the other side to it makes it even more interesting and um, important. So this is a sculpture by Edgar Degas, as I said, called Little Dancer of 14 Years, and it was made around 1880. So the original can actually be found at the National Gallery of Art in Washington, but there are loads of bronze casts made of the original that you can see all over the place, um, including as part of the collection in the UK. So as the title suggests, it depicts a little ballet dancer. So, Degas was really, really well known for his ballet dancers. He did approximately 1,500 paintings of young women in tutus, and they're just some of his most beloved artwork. You are probably thinking, I don't know who Degas is, but if you just type him in, you will 100% recognise his paintings. Mm -hmm. They are really, really famous um, and actually very beautiful. So, in the sculpture, the ballet dancer stands in a pose similar to fourth position. I don't really know what fourth position is. But you might know what fourth position yes. is.
1: I did ballet when I was younger. Mm-hmm. So do you want me to show you really quickly? Okay. First position. Mm-hmm. Second position. Mm-hmm. Third position. Right. Fourth position. So you've
0: just done a lot of movement with your feet. Yeah. I'm not really sure I'm any the wiser, but we're going to continue with the conversation because yeah. you've just confirmed that this is indeed fourth position. Yeah. So she's tense and taut, with her chin pushed forward obstinately and her nose held high. She does not appear angelic and gentle as one might, naively, expect, but tough and proud. Now, what do you think it's made of, Soph? Bronze? No. So, to construct the statue, Dagar used pigment... T- no, you idiot. No. You are wrong. <laughs> wrong. If Britain's uh-uh. Got Talent has a buzzer, that's what I've just done to you. Yeah. So, Degas used pigmented beeswax with a metal armature, rope, wow. and paintbrushes covered by clay for structural support. She is dressed in a real bodice, a real tutu, and real ballet shoes. Why,
1: why did he use beeswax?
0: I think to give it um, like a, a, sheen. Skin, a, yeah, a, a sheen, like a sweaty sheen, like skin, sort of skin-like. It has the sort of translucency of skin. Yes. Okay. And she also has a wig of real hair and wears a real ribbon. So it's pretty odd to look at. So as much as the sculpture is beloved now, the sculpture was actually really poorly received initially. She was described by critics as ugly, contorted, gawky. She's also been compared to a monkey and a scientific specimen. The scientific specimen comparison is actually really interesting because she was first exhibited inside a glass vitrine case, a bit like a scientific experiment. It's fair to say that as wonderful as the sculpture is, she is not an image of beauty.
1: This comes up a lot with critics, particularly, I find, of, like, in the Paris salons. Mm -hmm. If they don't like the look of it, they don't Mm -hmm. like it. Mm -hmm. And it's only in years later that we kind of go, oh, like, I feel like that was a time when they really valued beauty. They
0: valued pretty things. Yeah. Right. But actually, this is because Degas, as we spoke about, was really just fascinated with the harsh realities of modern life. And despite his association with the Impressionists, he was just really obsessed with capturing the body and motion and real people. Now, on the subject of real people. The ballet dancer depicted was based on a real dancer called Marie Van Gotham, who was a young student at the Paris Opera Ballet Dance School. So Marie was the daughter of... A very poor family. Her mother was a laundress and her dad was a tailor but her dad died when Marie was really young leaving her mother to raise her and her other siblings on a single mother's income. So the mother actually ended up moving the family to a really really impoverished area in Paris that was renowned for sex work and just general squalor because she couldn't afford to raise her kids in a nicer area. However in 1878 Marie was accepted into the dance school at the Paris Opera she passed the brutal exam that admitted her to the school and began even more brutal training. It was actually really common that um, young, impoverished girls like Marie joined the ballet as they needed the money to support their families. And girls like Marie, these, you know, very poor girls, were known as petty rats.
1: Oh. Little rats. That's not very nice, is no. it?
0: Now... I don't know about you, but when I think of ballerinas, I think of Angelina Ballerina. Do you remember The Little Mouse? I used to love Angelina Ballerina. So did Ballerina. I. I don't think that many people know about Angelina Ballerina. The cartoon. Ballerina. The little cartoon
1: mouse. I remember du, her du. as a
0: book, though. I don't remember her as a... Oh, I had it all.
1: I was obsessed with her. She was
0: brilliant, but I still remember her as a ballet dancer I because I've never seen Black Swan. Yes. So when I think of ballet, I think of it as this beautiful elegant thing and all the girls really mm-hmm. on boys as well all very... and not the sport it actually is right i you know i don't think of it as anything you know particularly brutal but the life of marie van gotham and dagar's ballet dancers was far from beautiful and simple and lovely indeed it was actually pretty sordid as julia fior has elaborated So by the late 1800s, some ballet shows in Paris had been reduced to these quite tacky interludes to operas. They were almost like cabarets. Indeed, it might surprise you to know that sex work was actually part and parcel with a ballerina's job. Mm. So the very building that these ballerinas performed in, a.k.a. the Palais Garnier Paris's opera house, had actually been designed to facilitate this. So behind the stage there was this room called the foyer de la dance, which is where the dancers would stretch and warm up before the start of the show. But the space was also a bit of a gentleman's club where these blokes called abonnes, or abonné, who had subscriptions to the ballet would come to do business, they'd socialize i they'd do the rounds and they'd also groom the ballerinas. So the ballerinas were expected to submit to these affections and were often pushed by their own families to find the company of these wealthy men. Especially because the families were often in such dire states of poverty themselves. So these men would provide the girls with money, they'd often put them into private tuition, and sometimes they'd even buy her a flat. They uh, treated these girls like they were their pets and yeah just groom them Mm. but actually as Julia Fior said these relationships could offer lifelines for the impoverished dancers because not only did these aristocrats and financiers hold powerful positions in society they also kept the dancers in their jobs and this is because the men could actually pick and choose which of the ballerinas got the best roles and which <gasps> of the ballerinas wouldn't get selected.
1: Oh, that's horrible. That's isn't that, sorted. yeah.
0: Isn't that awful? So historian Dr. Lorraine Kuhn said that even the most famous and recognised dancers who apparently did not resort to sex work probably did. Mm. Um, basically, everyone was doing it. Marie Van Gotham most likely included, probably engaging in the sexually predatory economy of the ballet world to survive. So Van Gotham disappeared from the public eye shortly after the sculpture was completed, um, because, wait for it, after being late to a rehearsal, the Paris Opera Ballet dismissed her. No one knows what happens to the teenager, but it is assumed that she turned to full-time sex work. So Dagar was fascinated by this life, and he himself was actually one of the abonné. So when you know this about him, you begin to notice things about his paintings. So, for example, Degart rarely painted from the audience as a spectator. Most of his paintings were painted in the wings or backstage or in a rehearsal as he really frequently entered the areas in which these ballerinas were groomed. Sometimes in his paintings, you can actually even see small male figures, kind of in the corners of the room, oh, my. Uh, and these are the abonne. So you'll look at this painting, and be like, "Oh wow!" without any understanding of it. Look at these beautiful, amazing dancers, and then you'll see a little man sitting in the corner wearing mm. a suit. When you think about the way that the sculpture is displayed, this whole sculpture becomes even more seedy as Marie is trapped beneath a glass case, totally vulnerable to the male gaze and gross voyeuristic spectators or a bonnet. She's just got nowhere to hide. I think it is usually believed that Degas didn't have sexual relations with the dancers. He was just incredibly cruel to them and, you know, certainly facilitated the exploitation of these girls and women he would apparently make them pose for hours at a time in contorted positions to capture his quote-unquote little monkey girls so he said i have perhaps too often considered woman as an animal Um, he said this to a painter pierre george's genois uh, in a moment of honesty so uh, while it's possible to admire degas dancers from a formal standpoint of artistic achievement for so long the sordid and depraved story behind the origins of these paintings and the realities of the subjects lives has just been completely ignored and overlooked and i think you know this final point is just an important thing to hold on to um i was having a conversation with someone at work about it the other day and how how we bring art that has got all of these problematic connotations in the past into the present day and i don't i don't know i don't know how to do that But there certainly needs to be a re-examining and a reconsideration as to how we look at art and how we celebrate it. Mm. Um, And I think this sculpture is one of them. You know, it will continue to live in society and be celebrated as an amazing work of art. But how should we think about it now and how does it fit into a society that is so condemnatory of the subject matter that it depicts?
1: Yeah. And when you... As you said at the beginning, once you know the history, it's very difficult to look at it as how you first saw
0: it. Mm-hmm.
1: And also, I think maybe that's what he was trying to do by making this, it looks beautiful. Yeah. But it's not really. It's the not beautiful. The dancing's really.
0: beautiful, but the world it's in is not it's beautiful. Not. But it's the same with, um, you know, Titian did a really famous painting called The Venus of Urbino. Mm-hmm. And the model in that has been upheld and celebrated as this woman of just unprecedented beauty. But I did a bit of research on it a couple of years ago, and I think, uh, if I'm right in thinking, the woman lying on the bed is not actually a woman, she's a young girl. And I seem to think she's about 13, 14 years old. I, I could be plucking that from thin air, but I know that works that we celebrate for their... Beauty and and wonder and the amazing things about them are, are actually mm. often the undertones are Way 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 not we what we want to be thinking about yeah. um, But I think as long as works like this continue to appear in our galleries and they will We need to think about how we talk about them and how they are presented and how we think about them mm-hmm. in today's society I finished my tea.
1: Me too. Are are you- I'm ready. I'm ready. I've also got something really fun. Okay. 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 Let's get the wine first. Okay.
0: So, close your eyes. (laughs) Oh my goodness. So, we've got canned wine. (gasps) We've got- you can pick between a peach and lychee white wine spritz. Or, you can have an elderflower mint and lime white wine spritz.
1: Can I try the peach? yeah is that all right
0: go for it oh
1: my gosh this is exactly what i want right now
0: okay that is so delicious it's very it tastes like juice it tastes like well i mean it's peach and lychee so it, mm. what is it it's an shook cup peach and lychee white wine spritz and i just got this at tesco's as well but it's not a tesco's brand it is mm. you can barely taste the alcohol that's the dangerous thing it's not, it's not very alcoholic, despite the fact that it is a white wine spritz. It's 5.5%. Um, it is zingy, it's refreshing, it's almost like a cider.
1: Yes, I knew it reminded me of something. It's You're like completely a cider. You're right, it's a fizzy cider.
0: Mm. Oh, it's so nice, though. Yeah, that's really good. Oh, man. Okay, what have you got to go alongside so that? So, we've
1: got something quite fun to do, guys. Okay. Okay. Context. Oh, gosh. My father is a home bargains queen. Okay. He loves a non-branded equivalent to a Shreddy, Mm -hmm. for example. Mm -hmm. So I was thinking about what I could bring. And I thought, we've got some mini cheddars downstairs. Oh my god. However, however, I went downstairs. I got the mini cheddars. (gasps) Red Leicester flavour. Red Leicester flavour. And then I was like, what's that? Snacktastic Home Bargains version, and then I've got another Bakeville, another Home Bargains version. And
0: they're all like mini cheddars. But I thought we could do
1: a little taste test
0: between the three of between them. Between
1: the three, and we can come up with the ultimate one. Oh my gosh! Okay, so by the way, the Red Leicester ones are amazing. Okay, so I'm. That's my guess. Mm-hmm. That's gonna be the best one.
0: Okay. We're Which one get, do you want to start with? Well, let's go for the original Mini Cheddars first. The Red Leicester Mini Cheddars. Yeah,
1: they're not the original Mini Cheddars, but they're like Mini, mini branded. Cheddar branded, Jacob's Cracker.
0: Mm-hmm. So you're going to try that. Oh, that's coming to me. Okay, so I'm crunching into it.
1: Mm. So good. It's really strong. That's why I like the Red Leicester ones.
0: Mmm. Okay. Okay. Do you want to do Bakeville or Snacktastic? Let's go Bakeville. Does it say what cheese flavor this one is? It says baked with real cheese. That's a relief. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't
1: say anything else. Okay. Oh! Okay, they're a bit smashed, so I'm going to give you a big one. Okay. They've got more holes than the usual ones, I'd say.
0: Mm-mm. Not as good. I can't taste the cheese. Flavorless. There's no flavor there. No, I, I wouldn't don't like even that one. like that with cheese on it. Okay. No, I don't like that mm. one bit.
1: Now we've got mini cheese bakes snacktastic. Okay. Again, made with real cheese.
0: Wow, you're really ripping out the high quality snacks, though. Okay, mini they cheese They look bit. very
1: similar to the Bakeville ones,
0: they're even less flavoursome.
1: Oh, awful. Well, that wasn't as fun a game as I thought it would be thing is, when you have the Red Leicester ones, even compared to normal
0: mini cheddars, you can't go back. Okay, let's now try another Red Leicester. Oh, see, so just immediately... Uh, see, that's tangy. That is tangy, just the tang hits your tongue. Mm.
1: Also, shout out Jacob's Crackers for mini cheddars. Even when I was little, I thought, they, they put a lot in the bag. Like, mm. you know when you open some crisp packets and you're th- you think, that's a rip-off. Mm-hmm. That's a third full. Mm -hmm. I always find mini cheddars take me a while to get through.
0: I know what you mean. Let's do... Shall we move on? ...your work of art.
1: So, this might be cut out, but um, I get sometimes a little bit muddled with my notes. So I've pulled a pen out so I can cross off things I've said (laughs) so I don't see it again and repeat myself. (laughs) So, I've actually... So, we don't know what each other's doing. No. And I've actually done something from the same sort of time. Okay. But that's quite nice. Yeah. It's a bit different for us. Yeah. I love this sculpture. Mm -hmm. I love it so much. And it's very basic B. Like, everyone loves it. But I just, it makes me emotional how much I love it. Can I guess
0: the artist? Rodan. Is Is it Rodan? I'm
1: going to pass it over to you.
0: Okay oh the kiss yeah Rodam. yeah i and just you. love it so much that's amazing i
1: adore it and it and it, it's well okay so we we studied this at a level mm-hmm. and i remember just being absolutely
0: enamored by it i don't know sorry i don't know anything about it well
1: so i didn't when we saw it i was like oh i've never seen this before i love this mm-hmm. and then like some people asked me what I was doing this week and I, I ended up telling them and they were like, oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was go- I was getting really in my head. I was like, oh no, does everyone know this? Because I didn't know it that yeah. well. So I'm glad that you don't know it very well. No, I don't at all. Because I adore this sculpture. Like mm-hmm. I'm getting a bit emotional mm-hmm. because as you know about me, Georgie, I love love. I love love so yeah. much. And this is a sculpture that I just think is really beautiful. Mm-hmm. So it's called the Kiss by August 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 August. Yeah, August. I'm not sure Rodin August. Yeah, and it's currently at the Musée Rodin, and it was made around 1886, but presented at the Paris Salon in 1898. Cool. You do the maths. Mm-hmm. quite a while afterwards. Mm-hmm. We'll come on to it. So what it is? It's a marble sculpture
0: in the round mm-hmm. of two people kissing in the round ladies and gents means that you can walk all the way around it yeah and it's been carved from every single angle
1: yeah so it's a marble sculpture of two lovers kissing and it's called the kiss but at first it's not entirely clear who it is until you find out the commission backstory now let's talk about Rodin. do you know anything
0: about rodan um I know a couple of his works of art, but I don't know anything yeah. about him as a he's, person. He's a famous
1: French sculptor. Mm-hmm. He did The Thinker and he did uh Balzac. Yeah. And anyway, he was schooled traditionally and he really desired academic recognition. And a lot of his sculptures were criticized because he clashed with figural sculpt traditions. Yeah. He was born into a working class district of Paris, the son mm-hmm. of a police clerk. And he applied to the Ecole des Beaux-Arts to study sculpture. Yeah. Which is like a big art school. And he was actually turned away three times. Seriously. So he in a lot of his work now is kind of like uh, analysed as like with that in mind that he'd been yeah. rejected a lot. That's why he wanted um, recognition. recognition. And in 1875, he travelled to Italy and was awestruck by Michelangelo. He was like, that's what I want to be. Yeah. So and he had a big influence on Rodin's kind of raw style. Mm-hmm. He was very no-frills. So the subject. At first you think that's just two people kissing. Mm-hmm. There's nothing really that tells us who Anything it is about them, right? But this was originally commissioned by the French state in okay. 1880. And they originally wanted a monumental set of bronze doors for a new museum of decorative art. And they wanted this subject, which I'm about to talk about, to Mm -hmm. be in the middle of the left-hand door panel. However, the plans for the museum fell through, and in 1886, Rodin decided that his planned relief would work better as a sort of spiralling sculpture in the round, and in 1887, the state commissioned him, and they were like, yeah, okay, you can do it in marble for us. Mm -hmm. So, the subject. So, some people think it's just a couple, because there's nothing that tells us otherwise. Mm -hmm. However, it's actually two lovers from Dante's Inferno, mm-hmm. which was a 13th century book, very mm-hmm. famous. I mm-hmm. won't get into it. Um, but it basically follows Dante going through the different levels of hell. Yeah, And the figures here are Paolo and Francesca. And it was a popular story in 19th century sculpture. And basically, Francesca and Paolo fell in love for one another and they sat and they chatted and they read each other stories of Um, Guinevere and Lancelot, like, they read Mm -hmm. things of courtly love. And basically, Francesca's husband, Giovanni, who was actually Paolo's brother. Oh, no. Yeah. But EastEnders. Oh, God. Discovered them and killed them both. What we see here is this image of infatuation. These, Mm -hmm. the figures seem oblivious to the rest of the world. And I think that's quite an alluring subject that these artists were drawn to yeah and this is supposed to represent their first kiss they're not actually kissing it's about the moment the anticipation before the kiss before they kiss so they're just about to kiss that's
0: the best moment i for know a kiss, isn't so it? it's
1: all i read something where someone was like it's in the movies the most exciting bit is when they're just about to. It's, it's that not, anticipation. It's not when they're actually
0: kissing. No. That's not when, when all the that. tension gets released. It's, it's that moment of tension. Yeah.
1: It's that bit, you now when Harry met Sally, when they sort of, like, they go, like, they put their lips on each other, and then they're, like, they look at each other, and then they go in and get... Like, it's that kind of, like, oh, my gosh, are we do This is about yeah. to happen. So, let's talk about the posture. Okay. So, it's very tender and loving. hmm And his back is actually straight. Right. He's not lurching. He's not pushing her against her will. He's actually a little bit restrained. Right. And she is willing. She's wrapping her hand around her lover's neck. But she doesn't force him towards her. She's reciprocating. Mm -hmm. And one of the things Rodan was known for was that he was one of the first sculptors interested in female sexuality Mm. and their enjoyment, their their participation as a partner rather than someone to be used Mm -hmm. or abused or Mm idealised. And that, I think, is personally why I love this sculpture because you see a lot of nudes of women and stuff, but I've never, ever seen one and thought that's, like, real. Yeah, Whereas this is actually treating a woman as an equal, Mm -hmm. which actually was why it was quite scandalous, but I'll go into that in a bit. Okay. So... Rodan was curious about female sexuality. Mm-hmm. And this is quite a plight, kind of like representation of like a woman being interested in sex. Right. He does have another sculpture called Iris, Messenger of the Gods. Oh 1895. And it is startling. I mm-hmm. read this and I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I saw it and I was like, that is one of the most like like, explicit oh, sculptures I've I was, ever there seen. so many
0: things you could have said there. I know. I wasn't sure I was explicit. So it's explicit. a bronze
1: sculpture of a woman. I want to look it up. I've got it. I've got it. I'm about oh. to show you. She's, she's got no head. Okay. Her legs are spread.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm going to show it to you. Oh, my God. Yeah. But it doesn't look... The reason why people, like, it. it's, I think... She is doing it. She is, it's, people, someone wrote that it's almost like she's a can-can dancer of the time. Like her leg is, she's throwing her leg up in the air. The whole posture doesn't look like she's showing herself against her will.
0: I love it.
1: I know, it's so
0: cool. I. Why have I never seen that before? I don't because know. Because formally, the way that that is actually able to balance is astonishing to me. I know. She's... She's got her bits out. Yeah. When do you ever see a woman's bits? And But, like, from her own will. She's like, there you go. Yeah. Here, get a load of this. Yeah. And I love that. Wow, I like that a lot. Yeah.
1: So, it, that, again, like, when you look at his other work, it kind of reinforces that he was really interested in, a, like, how women enjoy themselves rather than object being objects. Yeah. And it's also, as I said earlier, it's very tender. Mm-hmm. And one of my favourite parts of the sculpture is that his... Right hand is pressed into her thigh, mm-hmm. and Rodin has sculpted this so well that you can like it's you can see the flesh, mm-hmm. you can see his hands press it like it looks like real a real thigh. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh-huh. And um, as I said, it's in the round. You can walk around this sculpture, which again emphasizes it being a universal theme, mm-hmm. and that's what I think is so clever. You know, it's about Dante. You know, it's about lovers, but you actually don't really need to know that. Like right. that could. That could be any man and woman. And um, it's also not on a plinth. these That's him sort of saying, like, they're not otherworldly. They're just like you and I. They're yeah. occupying our world, just yeah. like us. They're just on the ground, like you yeah. and I, mere mortals. Completely. The other thing is that it is much bigger than life-size. It's mm. huge, which gives it this sense of prominence, which kind of goes against the thing of the like not having a plinth but i think feeds into rodan being like i want to be seen i don't want to be rejected mm-hmm. i'm really good and it's made out of marble as we spoke about with david and actually the feet of the mm-hmm. figures still looks attached to the um it's to still lo- yes yeah, still like looks it's attached just projecting from the marble base yeah absolutely and they're not wearing anything they're nude which again It's just about them. It's just about the natural form. And it, again, makes it timeless. It's not uh, tied down to any time period. period. And it's actually thought that the woman is modelled on his mistress, a woman called Camille Claudel. Mm -hmm. They had a tempestuous romance for 15 years. And in those 15 years, Rodin made his, like, most amazing work. Wow. Which I think is really interesting. And... Many people think that she was the model because she was a very sensual woman. She was very passionate. She was very Mm. rebellious. And he clearly loved that about her. Which, again, is very different to kind of representation of women in art of this time. Yeah, absolutely. And actually... (laughs) When he made the, when he was asked to make this, mm-hmm. the reason it debuted at the salon so late was because he kind of like put it in his salon and forgot about it. Mm. He just sort of like didn't do anything, which I find oh. quite interesting. Oh, that's that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's all right, yeah. Um, so let's talk about the reaction okay. to the sculpture. So at the 1898 salon, people loved it. Really? They loved it. Really? Yeah. Because I feel
0: like, sorry to interrupt, I feel like every work of art we've done so far, people have been like, mhm yeah. But it is really
1: beautiful to look at. Yeah. Now Rodan was not a fan. He was. Really? He said about it, "It's a large sculptured knickknack following the usual formula."
0: <gasps> oh my heart. Yeah. A
1: knickknack. Yeah. However, at this salon, he also premiered his sculpture called Monument to Balzac.
0: Yeah, the Balzac sculpture is pretty. Yeah. Yeah, and that did not go down well. Yeah, but but I'm I don't like that. No, I don't either.
1: But it did not go down well. Mm. And Catherine Lampert, who was um, a scholar of his, said it was his most radical work and it was ridiculed and, yeah, basically really not liked. But it's interesting that there was one that was like the talk of the town and Mm -hmm. one that was ridiculed. I think that's really clever that he debuted them at the same time. Yeah. And basically, yeah, people loved it.
0: Wow. And
1: by 1917 there had been more than 300 casts of it made. There's loads of copies of it around the world. And in 1893, a bronze cast was shipped to the US for the World's Columbian Exhibition. Uh This was a colossal event and it lasted six months. And in those six months, it received over 27 million visitors.
0: Crikey.
1: And basically in the US, they were like, this is scandalous. They put it in a private room. Um, in what
0: year was this? This was
1: 1893. Okay. So in Paris, they loved it. Yeah. But in the US, they were like, oh my goodness. They put it in a private room and you had to be granted special permission to gain visitor (sighs) access to see it. And yeah, you had to submit a personal application. And this is, yeah, this is because organizers didn't think it was appropriate for the general public due to its erotic nature and portrayal of female sexuality.
0: Oh, my gosh, that is so interesting. And I also bet that the only people that were allowed to see it were men. Yeah, probably. But it's interesting, isn't it? There's things like what
1: you just spoke about, the Mm -hmm. dancer, that actually has, like, a really sordid backstory that probably would have been allowed to be seen by everyone. But this, this celebration of female sexuality, people were like, it's dangerous. And
0: and also, to be honest, I mean, it is erotic, but it's... So something we've spoken about... Maybe we haven't spoken about it. I know I think about it an awful lot. So my mum, has spoken about it. But the female nude is just a really 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 popular subject matter in history So a lot of art depicts female nudity Now the thing with female nudity is that it's always been depicted for the male gaze It's never been about the woman in the painting Mm -hmm. other than the woman for her body and you know, she's always been an object basically Um, But something that they used to do was paint a picture of a woman naked and then they used to say, hey, this is Venus or this is Aphrodite. This isn't Mary from down the road. No, 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 no. This is a goddess. And yeah. therefore, we're allowed to paint her naked. We're allowed to look at this for hours on end. Because she's not a real woman. She's, mm. she's a goddess. So they used to give nude paintings of women the veil of mythology. And because this couple hasn't been given that veil, people are going, oh. No, I don't like it. No, that's not right. Well, they ha- they had been with Dante's Inferno, yeah. but not really. But I bet everyone's looking at Three Fingers, going, "Oh, isn't that disgusting?" And actually, they're thinking, "Oh my god, that is so hot. I but really want." But it's
1: not that compared
0: to some it's of the nudes not. from years before.
1: I know that were like mythological. That this are is just, nothing I just compared <laughs> to just that. Downright pornographic. Yeah, they're I mean, not even is, touching. No. Like they're not. Their lips aren't even touching. No, it's. I find it so fascinating, isn't it? there's more okay so it was really popular there were mm-hmm. lots of casts mm-hmm. and in 1900 edward perry warren he was a he was from boston he lived in east sussex he was an antiquarian and connoisseur and he was really interested in greek art and he loved this sculpture cool he asked Rodin to produce a full-size replica in the finest marble possible for his f- private collection so he was he was quite eccentric As I said, he loved Greek antiquities, and Mm -hmm. he actually lived with his lover, John Marshall. And basically, Rodin was like, okay, fine, I'll do you a copy of this thing that I'm not even that keen on. Mm -hmm. He asked for 20,000 francs. And the contract also stipulated that the genital organ of the man must be completed. (laughs) Do with that what you will. Okay. However, a letter, a previous letter explained that being a pagan and lover of antiquities, Warren hoped that the genitals of the man would be sculpted prominently in the classical Greek tradition rather than modestly hidden. Right, so... But... But... Okay. I also think if you're a homosexual man living in a world that's not very accepting of it, mm. I can completely understand why you'd be like... Can
0: you just put that in there, so... Listen, I completely understand. Yeah. I, if I was going to have a sculpture in my house... Okay, a classical sculpture. I want them to have their bits intact. Because I'm, I'm four years old and I think it's funny. Well, there you go. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's the best <laughs> bit of any classical sculpture, looking at the bits and bobs. Well, it was finished in 1904,
1: but unfortunately it was too big for his house. <laughs> so
0: he had to keep oh, sorry, it. You, sorry, clarify, what was too oh, big no, for his house? Oh, no, the sculpture was
1: too big for his house. The sculpture was too big for his house
0: and he had to keep it in the stable block. Yeah, but that kind of in its own right makes it a little bit more sexy and romantic, don't you think? I don't know. You've got this like really sort of like saucy, romantic, holistic sculpture, and it's being kept in the stable block. Well. Meow. During World War One, Warren loaned
1: it to the Lewis Town Hall to be kept in their assembly rooms. Mm-hmm. And this was the recreational room used by soldiers billeted there. Okay. However, the the puritanical locals. Feared it. <laughs> they were like, "No, no, 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 no." no, no this no, no, is. No. They were worried it was going to incite lewd behavior from the soldiers. They were like, "No."
0: So they surrounded just, I don't it. Know, well, I'm just imagining people just like not being able to touch it. For, <laughs> Can't look. <laughs> yeah. oh, no. Right, who so, is going to go in there and deal with this sculpture? I know.
1: Like, what we're going to do? Picking, on fire. drawing
0: straws <laughs> just to sort of walk into a room with this
1: like phoebe from french she's like my eyes yeah, the- <laughs> so they surrounded it with a railing yeah. and covered it with a sheet for two years <laughs> but i think that incites more interest like if i, I was know. a drug soldier i'd be like
0: what is under that sheet i'm peeking i'm having a peek <laughs> at its bits and bobs that is so funny <laughs>
1: so then two years later It was returned to Warren, and it was Mm -hmm. actually kept by hay bales to be protected from potential shells. Oh, right, okay. Then it was moved to the Tate. And this is where it gets even more controversial. Oh, right. So, you're going to love this. Okay. So, basically, in 2000, the Tate moved some stuff around. And they put it on a landing by the toilets. What? (laughs) And loads of people were like, you cannot put this copy made by the artist itself mm-hmm. of this, like, world famous sculpture, By the lose. It's Lose. It just doesn't work, does it? Anyway, so the Tate Triennial happened in 2003 mm-hmm. and there was this artist called Cornelia Parker and she decided to put the sculpture back in its original spot, but she wrapped it in a mile of string. I'm going to show you. String? String. Um... Okay, I don't understand. Here we go. So she was a massive fan of Rodin, but she was even an even bigger fan of Marcel Duchamp. Oh, who during the war, at a surrealism show in New York, crisscrossed the exhibition. I can, with I, just a mile in, of can I just
0: interrupt? I really, 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 really hate Duchamp. Well, I'm, no, continue. I, I just don't know I, what to do with that. No, no, no. Continue with what you're saying. I need to say it because okay. it was like sitting in my throat. Like I don't know anything about him. I really can't stand him. So anyway, during this show, he
1: crisscrossed the exhibition with a mile of string mm-hmm. to obscure the other artists' work. This is why I hate. This is why I hate him. And Parker said, "I felt that even though it was the most famous sculpture in the Tate, mm-hmm. people love it." The kiss had become a bit cliched. I wanted to give it back the complication it used to have, that relationships can be tortured and not just this romantic ideal. So the string stood in for the complications of relationships. But very quickly, people were like, no, we don't like this. Mm -hmm. Negative articles appeared. And one very (laughs) annoyed visitor at the date whipped out a pair of shears and chopped off the string. before the guards could stop them (laughs) and the Tate wanted to prosecute but the artist Parker didn't want to give any more oxygen to the assailant she was like look instead I just tied the string back together and I put it back on and it made it even less lyrical and slightly more punk and she was like I imagine that Duchamp would have enjoyed that so I thought I should enjoy it too so yeah and now it's currently at the Musée Rodin in the middle of a gallery on the ground floor, so you can walk around it. Mm -hmm. And the last thing I'm going to say, which is a really cool fun fact, Mm -hmm. is that basically when it premiered, it had the name Francesca and something, something, something. Or maybe it didn't even have a name. Mm -hmm. And basically the public are the ones who named it The Kiss. Oh. Yeah. And the critics were like, you need to rename it The Kiss because everyone's calling it The Kiss. It's like,
0: but the fact that it's called, it's not called A Kiss, it's called The Kiss. Yeah. Is like... This is the kiss of all time. This is the best kiss ever.
1: But there's just something in it that, like, just brings something out in me that just, like, I just love it so much.
0: Mm, I I like it. I just
1: think it's beautiful. I I really like it. I just adore it. And there's just something about it that's almost a bit like, I don't know, like, a really mainstream song. And you feel like you should not like it, but you're like, this is just such a good song. I can't
0: help it. I can't help it. it.
1: Everyone loves it. It's like
0: me and Ed Sheeran's perfect. Oh, really? Big fan. There's something about it that just does something to me. Yeah, I love that. Thank you so much. I think it was nice to do something that um, made us feel good after day (laughs) bar.
1: Yeah, a nice different sort of. It shows that not everyone in that time agreed with, you know,
0: what women should be.
1: Yeah. Unexpected
0: art. Unexpected art in
1: an unexpected place. place. Shoot, I haven't got a picture of mine.
0: That's fine. Paint me me a picture. Mine's a thing. Vogel's toast, right? Salty Lurpak butter. Okay. And Marmite spread to the corners. Get that in your head, Sophie. Marmite on toast. Uh, Yes.
1: Okay. So here's the thing, Georgie. You you need to give credit where credit's due.
0: Mm-hmm. So, Sophie was actually the person that introduced me to Vogel's Toast.
1: Thank you. That's why my reaction wasn't that enthusiastic. So, it was... I need the credit. One... I think it was... Was it New Year's Eve? It was. New Year's Eve, 27... seven. Twenty. No, it was a Christmas party. We were... all pre- we pre-
0: oh, Christmas party. We were pretty young. We were yeah. quite young. And I had had one glass too many. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, oh, no, 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 no. And it feels so good. And I thought, right, what would my mum say? Eat some bread. Get some carbs in you. Soak it up. Mm-hmm. Sophie made me a piece of Vogel's toast
1: mm-hmm.
0: with the most beautiful, salty Welsh butter yeah. that her god mum, Irie, brings from Wales. Yeah. Irie is Welsh. And I forever and ever and ever have thought about this single slice of toast.
1: Oh. Didn't so I make you a cup of tea
0: as well? You made me a cup of tea. Mm-hmm. And a piece of toast, and I still think about it. So, my new favourite thing, and I know I mentioned Ruby the other day, but Ruby also really got me back onto Marmite.
1: Love Marmite. And
0: it is really salty butter on, like, a really good bit of Vogel's Toast with not too much Marmite, but just enough Marmite that you get the salt. Yeah. Because too much Marmite is, like, too much, and all Mm -hmm. you're thinking about is Marmite. But I can't explain to you how much I love Marmite on toast now. But it's got to be pushed to the corners, okay? Like, it can't be kind of concentrated in the middle. You don't want a dry edge. No, no, no. No.
1: Did you know tea and toast is my favourite food?
0: I didn't know that, but it doesn't surprise me. Yeah, it's
1: my favourite food. It's,
0: you cannot beat it. No, you
1: can't. When you're eating toast and having a cup of tea, you never want anything else. Think about it. You never crave anything else. You're never thinking, oh, damn,
0: I should have had the bran flakes.
1: Yeah. But whereas when you're having like a dry biscuit, you are thinking, "I wish I was having a Ben's cookie,"
0: or "I wish I was having a Snickers." Yeah, exactly. You are so right. I am. When and also when you've had two pieces of toast, you always think, "Oh gosh, I want another one." I know, I know.
1: Sometimes I will go for another half, but I am being naughty. People,
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm being behave. What we're like. But what frustrates me so much, because actually, I'm so, so on board with a Marmite toast, is when someone else does it for you and they don't put the butter on properly. I don't like someone, I don't
1: like someone serving me food. Mm -hmm. Like, if there's a roast dinner and someone goes, shall I plate you up?
0: I go, no. You're going to plate yourself up.
1: I plate myself. And it's a real family thing. We all don't like it. Mm -hmm. And we had some extended family come and I was like, don't,
0: don't. Serve me. Don't do
1: it. And I was really rude. I was like, no, I'll do it, I'll do it.
0: Is that because um, you're sort of particularly fussy about your well, Brussels I just, Shall I tell you
1: what it is? I, it's not that I'm fussy, it's just I know where I like the. F- if I put something there, I'll know I want that there, and then I'll want this there, and then mm-hmm. sometimes I might want the gravy all over, sometimes I might want it just on the spuds. Mm-hmm. I just like things my way. Okay. Don't, like, I will let my mum make me toast, I'll let my dad make me toast, I'd let my sister make me toast.
0: Anyone else? Uh, would you let me make you toast?
1: I don't think you've ever made me toast. I've made you toast a few
0: times when you've had one too many. May we name our friend Lucy's 21st? We're not going to talk about that. <laughs> <clears throat> we're going we're gonna to go back to the fact that, would you let me make you toast? Yeah, I would. Going back to your unexpected art, this being your unexpected art, mm. like, talk me through that. I just think it's unexpectedly brilliant. Yes. Okay, got you. You just forget how darn good it is. Yeah, that's true. That's why it's unexpected art in an unexpected place. I'm not sure why it's an unexpected place. No, I place, love it. I loved it. But it is. I guess the unexpected place is my stomach. You go with yours. Okay, so you're going to think I'm cheating. Okay. And I'm not.
1: Okay. I had another thing. Right. But I changed my mind today. Okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> What's that face?
1: I don't know. It just felt right to I today. don't know if you might need to go to the toilet. Maybe it's the wine. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Sorry, listen. I was just nodding at Georgie. Should I tell you what it is? What is it? Look down.
0: It's your, it's your outfit. It's my outfit. Georgie is
1: wearing the most incredible two-piece from Anthropologie. It is orange and yellow and pink and red. Now I opened the door and you were wearing this outfit. Mm -hmm. And I, how many times have I spoken to you about this outfit today? Maybe twelve. Yeah. I keep bringing it up. Mm -hmm. I was like, "Is it new?" You said no. I've had it two weeks. I said, that's new. It's not, I've had it longer than two no, weeks. No, but here's the thing. We always tell each other when we buy new things. It's just one of our little quirks. We'll be mm-hmm. like, look at my new
0: socks. I know. And I, I'm a bit surprised you didn't tell me about that. Do this. you know what it is? It's because in the last couple of months, well, actually, I think probably over the last two months specifically, I've been going through a bit of a wardrobe revamp.
1: This is not an excuse not to tell your best friend that you've got I, a new outfit. Look,
0: I understand that, and I do apologise. No, you don't. I'm not sorry, <laughs> but it's because over the last two months, I've been going through a massive wardrobe revamp. I just, I think I've, particularly with my summer clothes, I've had the same summer clothes now for years and years and years. And actually, I've never really invested in summer clothes because I always just think it's a temporary fixture. It's going to be w- winter again before you know it. But actually, I've really gone to the vintage side in the last couple of months. Mm-hmm. I've always loved vintage shopping not that this is vintage but I've been doing a lot of vintage hunting hunting and I saw this and I was in anthropology and anthropology as we know is just so expensive and it is once in a blue moon that I buy anything from there I bought a pair of shorts in the sale there that were still overpriced but they were much more reasonable and they're lovely they're really nice shorts and I like their hair bands but I went upstairs to the anthropology my local anthropology and that's the pajama section. Yeah, and I saw this set of pajamas, and that is what I'm wearing today. And I thought, hang on, those aren't pajamas. That is just a really amazing two piece. And because, I just can't stop looking at you but, in them. But because they were pajamas, they were a fraction of the price of what a normal Anthropology two piece is going to be. Like pajamas. I, I don't understand. They've got a little I, sexy no. back thing. It's because they're really beautiful, sort of soft fabric. They're very, very cotton, sort of floaty. Um, but the colours are great, aren't they? I think oh, they're really fun. I can't. I and can't even look at you. They're quite good as well to wear at work because they're smart, but they're also fun, um, fun playful, bit of personality. Um, there we go. Ooh, thank you. That's a really lovely art. compliment. Sweet of the Week. Sweet of the Week. I've,
1: I'm doing this week's. Mm-hmm. I'm doing a man called mm-hmm. James Brunt. Hmm. Not to be confused with James Blunt. (laughs) (laughs) I have already posted him on our Instagram, but I think his work's so beautiful. Oh, go on then. He does a lot of um, land art. Okay. And one thing that he's particularly... Oh! Yeah. Yeah, yes. you shared him on our
0: yeah. social media. So he's just
1: recently done a massive Mandela in Nosley Halewood Park, which is like this beautiful design that's mm-hmm. on the grass, yeah. and like you see these pictures from above, and you just think, how did he,
0: how did he do, do that? that?
1: And yeah, basically, it will be visible for about four weeks before nature wears it away. All of his work doesn't last very long because he does it in nature. And it was created as part of Nosley's Year as Liverpool City Region Borough of Culture. Mm. But what I'm really fascinated by with him is um, he did some work on the seashore in a place called Flamborough. And he basically made land art on the beaches. He'd do these like concentric circles made out of pebbles and these kind of statues. Yeah. And um, his exhibits of this work last as long as it takes for the tide to come in. So, there's this video on the BBC website, I'll put it on the gram, where basically they were like, he was like, yeah, this will be here for like two more hours. He's not Scottish, is he? No, he's from Sheffield.
0: We had, um, I studied in St Andrews and I lived there for a little bit. Um, And there was a gentleman that used to come out onto one of our big beaches and do the most amazing artwork on the beach. Let me have a look. No, not quite like that. I mean, that is amazing and beautiful, but this, this, guy would draw in the sand i think he'd use a rake and he would just do the most beautiful patterns Amazing. and writing and yeah sorry so he's can continue yeah
1: no so he's just all about he loves working with the land and with nature and using the materials that yeah. the land gives him and he said it's all about the moment it's mm-hmm. all about this day this time this is what i've created and he was like a lot of people aren't happy that it just disappears but he was like once i finished mm-hmm. i'm quite happy to Walk away. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so his art kind of disappears into the sea. So if you know he's there, get down, see what he's doing before it disappears.
0: Wow. So
1: yeah, I think he's really wonderful. And I love that he uses nature because not not many of us respect nature as much as we should. No, I think
0: that's so beautiful. Yeah. I really like that. James um, Brunt, not James Blunt. <laughs> thanks for that, Soph. So on the note of social media... Um please follow us on Instagram artsing underscore about podcast. get in touch with us via email artsing.about.podcast at gmail.com Yeah oh smash that big breath. And even more incentive, Sophie and I are doing a giveaway. We are doing a giveaway. Do you want to talk about the giveaway? I'll talk
1: about the giveaway. Tonight Matthew, we are going to be giving Wait, away stop
0: I'm not going, I'm going to interrupt you there because you have called me Matthew, Matthew. No,
1: do you, it's a reference Oh. Um, Stars in Their Eyes. Oh. When they interview Sarah from Glasgow. Right. And he's like, So, the presenter was called Matthew something. He'd be like, So, Sarah, who are you going to be tonight? And she'd mm-hmm. go, Tonight, Matthew, I'm going to be, say who she's going to be, Cher. Okay. She'd go behind the. Did you ever watch Stars in Their no. Eyes? No. She'd go off behind these doors, the doors would open, and there'd be all this white smoke, and they'd come out,
0: okay. and then they'd
1: perform as Cher or Prince or whatever.
0: I did not know that. Yeah,
1: so it, they, it's a very famous expression. Tonight,
0: Matthew, I am going to be. Cool, got it. So I'm Matthew. I understand. Yeah,
1: that's fine. And I am Cher. Okay. So tonight, Matthew. But
0: well, if you're gonna do Cher, you've got to do Cher's voice. Tonight, Matthew. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that was not very. I good. don't
0: really know what that was. Yeah, I
1: don't. I don't really know what Cher. Um, snap out of it. <laughs> <laughs> who would be your star in their eyes? Like, who would be? Who would you be? Oh, I
0: don't know. Who would you be? Stevie Nicks. But she's not much of a... Like, she's obviously... You can
1: be my silver spring.
0: I think I'd probably be Celine Dion. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Baby, baby, if I kissed you like this, and if I touched you like that... So as someone
1: who just poo-pooed everything I've just said, you got very into that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I just always wanted to be Celine Dion. (laughs)
1: Alright, okay, so tonight, Matthew, we are gonna be having a print done by mm-hmm, you, mm-hmm. working in collaboration with the winner. Yeah. A bracelet or piece of jewellery by me. hmm Um, a notebook designed by Papier with the covering of artwork by Badil Jane.
0: hmm Our sweet art of the week and week one.
1: Yeah. And we've also got a secret special super saucy gift super <laughs> amazing just some wonderful secret fourth gift yeah but keep your eyes peeled on the gram because we will be revealing it there so to enter mm-hmm. follow us on social media mm-hmm. repost us on social media subscribe to us on your podcast platform and leave us a review and
0: we will be picking a winner by random chance
1: yeah
0: um slash sophie's gonna scroll through and look who the best name is i know what to do sophie knows what to do. i know what to do
1: yeah so we'll be picking a winner by chance and we will be naming the winner the day of our last podcast mm-hmm. which is
0: week 10 week 10 sort of kind of late september early october i seem to think i don't yeah. know off the top of my we'll, head we'll
1: keep you all posted it's all, it's on, all on the all instagram yeah
0: hashtag incentive to follow um everyone thank you so much for listening We have really enjoyed having you. We love doing this so much. And thank you so much for showing your support. We really appreciate it. Um, And we'll see you next week. See you soon. Lots of love. This has been Artsing About with Georgie Turner and Sophie Doyle. Sound and music by Harry Jones. If you would be interested in hearing where Sophie and I complete our research, please contact us via the email address in the description.